Welcome to another episode of Quilt Buzz, a podcast featuring your favorite folks from across the quiltiverse. I'm Amanda of Broadcloth Studio, and I'm joined by Wendy, the weekend quilter. Hey. And our special guest, Audrey of Cotton and Bourbon. Hello. So before we jump into all the quilty fun, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Audrey? Sure. Um, I'm Audrey Essery, and I live in Kentucky. And I'm a project manager by day. And then in the evenings and on the weekends, I like to make quilts and dye fabric and teach and write patterns and all kinds of good stuff that relates to quilting. And to kick things off, um, could you tell us a little bit more about your Instagram handle, Cotton Bourbon? Yeah. So um, the Cotton and Bourbon Instagram handle came from the time when I was Uh, getting ready to enter my first quilt show. So QuiltCon 2019 was the first quilt show that I had ever entered a quilt. And um, I noticed on the application that they, the MQG, wanted an Instagram handle um, on the application. So I was having dinner with one of my quilting friends, Karen, and I had started to make a list of all the different um, options for my Instagram handle because my last name, Essery, is very difficult for people to visualize and then pronounce. And so I didn't really want to integrate my last name into Instagram. And uh, I said that I really wanted it to be cotton and something And we were at dinner and I was drinking it old fashioned and she said, you should be cotton and bourbon. And I said, that's great. (laughs) And so I (laughs) went home that night and uh, reserved the cotton and bourbon Instagram and I reserved the cotton and bourbon Gmail and then didn't post anything until after my work was submitted (laughs) for, (laughs) for QuiltCon that year. So my first four or eight posts are the overall and the detail shots of the four quilts that I entered that year. Coincidentally, my top nine of 2018 were those eight photos plus a headshot. So, oh, okay. Because they were the what, only nine things that that gonna ask was Top nine out of nine. Yeah, top nine out of nine. That was really easy then. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your quilting journey, like when you started, how you learned, who taught you? Mm-hmm. So I've sewn my whole life. So I actually don't have a time in my life that I can't remember that I had uh, the ability to sew. And my mom taught me how to sew. And so when I started dating my now husband, um, my my now mother-in-law, we weren't married at the time, but my now mother-in-law, I think extended what was a courtesy invite to me to a quilting class. She had <laughs> signed her two daughters and her uh, daughter-in-law at the time up for a quilting class. And one of them dropped and couldn't do it. And so she had kind of like a prepaid spot that was available. And we were sitting around the breakfast table and she said, you wouldn't want to take a quilting class, would you? And I said, actually, question. Right, actually, I've sewn my whole life. I I've never quilted, so that sounds fun. And I think that that was not what she was expecting <laughs> at all. Um, coincidentally, I'm the only one that attended the class that is still quilting, and she is also a quilter. So that's a nice uh, point oh, of connection that we have uh, as 
uh, my mother-in-law. Um, she's an avid quilter. So that's kind of how I started quilting. And then, you know, really once I started, I never wanted to stop. <laughs> so I think it was uh, unexpected and a pretty awesome way to find uh, something artistic that really I loved. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with what could you describe your quilting style? Yeah, so um, I think this one's kind of a difficult question because when I first started quilting, I was making very traditional quilts, but in what many might consider a modern palette. Mm -hmm. And I think many people now would call me a modern quilter um, or a contemporary quilter, but you could also call me an art quilter. (laughs) Overall, I would just call myself a quilter um, because that is what I like to do. Um, I would say my work is, um, a lot of people would describe my work referencing curved seams and high contrast color palettes, um, color palettes where there are fabric gradations, like colors that kind of, um, go from, uh, dark to light or kind of blend from one color to another, um, pretty seamlessly, like in my watercolor quilt, mm-hmm. um, A lot of people would talk about kind of a graphic nature um, because some of my inspiration comes from screen printing or pop art, um, but just really high contrast and kind of bold design. So I don't know that there's really like one word (laughs) that I could use to describe my style of quilting because I still use a lot of very traditional techniques um, in my construction mm-hmm. of of quilts but um definitely I'm a modern quilter because I have exhibited my work in the MQG's quilt con which is a very modern show um but my work has also been featured in quilt national which is the best of contemporary quilts and has hung and done well in Houston which is a very traditional quilt show so I I don't know that I'm a member of SACWA also which is studio art quilt associates so I don't know that there's one specific label that fits exactly me (laughs) so you mentioned that you work with a lot of curves but you started off doing more traditional blocks and things like that how did you kind of can you just tell us about your journey to discovering and leaning into this more curves and circles work sure um well the first time that I sewed curves was a very traditional block um It was the Louisa A. Smith Strips and Curves uh, template set and book that I used um, when I took a class of learning how to sew curves. And I was actually at first really intimidated by sewing curves. Um, I kind of put it off because I was like, well, I'm getting really good at sewing straight lines. Why would I I try to sew curves? I even bought um, the Curve Master Foot for my machine at the time, which was a product that like supposedly let you sew the curves more easily. I broke it the first time that I (laughs) used it. So I would say I was, I used to be very intimidated by curves, but the first time that I did sew curves was in a very traditional way. Mm. Um, And um, so I also did like a Lone Star um, that had some curved piecing in it, um, among other things that were very traditional patterns that had curved seeds kind of like embedded mm-hmm. in the pattern. So um, 
there were lots of opportunities for me to sew curves before I started creating my own designs. And when I'd kind of taken like a five-year break from doing a whole lot of quilting, I made a few baby quilts, but um, looking at patterns that had been out there on the market, I was kind of in between making a lot of patterns and then trying to determine what I wanted to make as my own work. So when I saw that QuiltCon was coming to Nashville, I thought, well, that's only three hours south of me. Perhaps I should attend the show. And then when I thought about attending the show, I thought perhaps I should try to enter a quilt finally after, you know, I started quilting in 2005. I don't know that I said that before, but it had been, you know, like 13 years of quilting before I entered a show. And um, so when I set out to enter, I thought, well, let's try to come up with something that would be my style. And I sewed, you know, a quilt that had a bunch of square and a square blocks uh, and a quilt that had flying geese and a quilt that had kind of like these weird uh, soft curve, like big rock shapes. Mm -hmm. And then I sewed the offset quilt, which is the quilt that most people know me for with the black, black and white high contrast radiating wedges with like two pieces omitted from it. And that was for the APQS two color challenge for Holtcon in 2019. And I just, I love sewing curves. I just (laughs) think they're so easy. Um, And I, I love when I'm teaching now and I have a student in my class that has never sewn a curve and they tell me that they're afraid of them. And I just think we can break down a lot of barriers and sewing curves because it opens up a lot of interesting design opportunities. And your your curves are all pieced, right? You're not, or have you also worked with applique at all? I am not a successful applicator. Um, <laughs> I uh, I have been operating the last few years to to determine if I can draw it, can I sew it? And so I'm just everything that I draw, I figure out a way to either tweak it or adjust it so that I can sew it. So I've just kind of been learning what, I won't call them rules, but they're rules for me of like Mm -hmm. things that I do in my common quilting practice to ensure that if once I start cutting into fabric that I will be able to reassemble (laughs) what it is that I choose to sew. Um, Because I usually do have a digital or paper drawing of what I'm going for Mm -hmm. before I ever cut into fabric. So um, (laughs) yeah. And are you Um, doing, is it FPP or is it like actual like piece templates. Yeah. Well, like in my radial quilts, right? Like the original offset quilt Mm -hmm. or the pattern, I have two radial patterns out there, um, rainbow radial and indigo radial that are out on my website. With either of those patterns, the arc itself that has the wedges, those do leverage FPP or foundation paper piecing for that segment of the quilt. And then that piece is just done with curved traditional curved seam into the background so my patterns leverage both fpp and curved piecing but my most popular pattern the watercolor quilt it's just curved piecing it it just you cut the pieces and the templates just fit back together because they were drafted to go back together so they do (laughs) go back together (laughs) unless you're having a lot of fun with your printer settings (laughs) right right there's guidance in the pattern to help with that but most of the time uh if you cut your pieces accurately they will go back together That's with an accurate, accurate quarter inch seam. (laughs) So for listeners that haven't had the opportunity to see your um, work up close, um, 
you do a lot of matchstick and grid quilting. Um, so why, what keeps you coming back to those motifs? Well, I think straight line quilting is kind of a staple of modern quilting per se. So modern quilting, you don't see a lot of like feathers um, or uh, echo quilting as much. So it, it is kind of a staple of modern quilting. Um, I find that if you do the straight line quilting in a thread color, that's like the lightest color that appears in your quilt, that it kind of just... Uh, blends everything nicely Mm. on the quilt top so I won't say that it's invisible but it just adds a texture to the quilt um, and kind of brings everything together Um, now whether I turn the quilt and then do a full grid sometimes that just is the quilt deciding if it needs that additional stitching Um, so sometimes the width uh, or the distance between my lines will determine whether I turn it and do a grid. If I'm already doing eighth inch lines on a quilt, I don't really want to turn it and do more eighth inch lines. Um, but I, I just think it's a staple. It's a classic staple and it works for many of my pieces um, with already kind of the graphic nature of the pieces. So it just works. Yeah. And do you have any tips on matchstick or narrow grid quilting? Because in the past where I've tried to do that on my domestic machine, but somehow I find my quilt top ends up being stretched out or like completely warped. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're quilting on a domestic sewing machine, I would say that a lot of um, keeping everything kind of straight and tidy depends on your basting method. Um, So I know a lot of quilters spray base to get a really nice flat quilt top and to uh, minimize distortion. Um, If you are getting a lot of distortion, you'd be surprised how much of that can be fixed with blocking the quilt. Um, So if you've never blocked a quilt, it's when um, before you bind the quilt, you would kind of like wet the quilt or uh, dampen the quilt in a way, whether that's with a spray bottle or some people put it through a rinse cycle in the washer. Although just uh, be cautious about the fabric bleeding if you haven't pre-washed, fair warning. (laughs) Um, And then some people will pin it into those uh, exercise mats that are just create like a softness on the ground Mm -hmm. um, or anti-fatigue mats. You can pin it into that and kind of like reshape the quilt as the quilt dries, it has a memory and it will retain that new shape. So you can do a lot with blocking. Um, so now I don't like with knitting. Just exactly. The same, it's the same process. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And um, actually the, uh, if you are working with a small quilt or a mini, you can often block on those boards that are meant to like block a sweater uh, okay. from knitting, from a knitting perspective. Now I quilt on a long arm for most of the time. So many times I do straight line quilting on my long arm and then I'll bring it to my domestic sewing machine for accent quilting. Um, But when I am doing straight line quilting on my long arm, I'm always really conscious of where my seams are falling Mm -hmm. because if you have a quilting line that's going straight across the quilt and it kind of bounces in and out of a seam, it's only going to emphasize more that that seam is not straight, assuming that your quilting line is straight, which mine is because I'm using a channel lock on my long arm. 
And so um, I'm always like kind of like scratching at the quilt a little bit to like move seam line, like just a little bit more up or just a little <laughs> bit more down so that that straight line quilting is like consistently a quarter inch above or a quarter inch below oh. that line. So I do a lot of manipulation on my alarm to make sure that my quilt or there's the perception uh, that my quilt is square and straight because of, I know my lines are straight. My quilting lines are straight. So I have to kind of adjust seams as I go to compensate for that. Cause it's fabric, it's movable, it stretches. And a lot of my stuff has bias seams, it moves and stretches. And Now, uh, as part of your patchwork process, you, um, you also use clappers and you actually make your own clappers. So for folks who haven't yet tried them or have been wondering what they're for, can you, can you give us a little bit of a rundown on those? Yeah. So, um, a Taylor's clapper is basically like a big, heavy wooden block. Um, and they can be made out of all different kinds of wood. Mine um, are made with red oak. And um, most Taylor's clappers are kind of wide and short because they were meant to keep like a collar seam or a um, the cuff of a seam like very flat as you. So it uh, so it's a product that is used that when you press, if you do a little spritz with a water bottle or steam, um, then you set the clapper on top of the fabric as it cools, it kind of like locks in um, that crisp seam. So quilters who typically have very long and narrow seams use clappers, but like those short, uh, those shorter Taylor's clappers, short and wide, uh, I was like using two or three of them for some of the longer seams. And so I was like, it's not a new idea, but having a long skinny clapper is not something that I could find. And um, when I was in college, I worked for the Home Depot. I really love DIY. I'm really handy. I have garage full of tools. So I was like, <laughs> well, let's do it. I'm going to make my own. Um, and so I, I made one and then used it for about a month. I found it to be really useful. So I was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make like 25 of these <laughs> and see how it goes. And now over 300 of them are kind of out oh, and wow. about. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's how I started making clappers and why they are the size and shape they are. Cause it's made for a quilter versus a tailor. So you mentioned that you're, you've got a real DIY um, approach to things. And so you've also taken up recently dyeing your own fabrics um, and have shared, this is my words, your meticulous process and <laughs> experiments and as, as you've been going. Uh, what inspired you to start dyeing your own fabric? When I, um, in 2009, I had an opportunity to take a workshop from Carol Brower Fowler at Gentry. Um, and at one point in time, she was dyeing the fabrics that she used for her quilts exclusively. And uh, that's where I really got a lot of inspiration on color gradations, which I still use in my work today. But I remember looking at her quilts and thinking, oh my gosh, like these color gradations are so perfect because they're meant to go together because they're dyed that way. And so I just thought, I'm going to have to learn how to do that. So I came home and I bought a book and I remember flipping through the book and thinking, this is really uh, seems like a lot. <laughs> and so I put the book down. And then in um, February 2020 at QuiltCon in Austin, I took a ice dyeing class from Anna Joyce and she kind of demystified what is soda ash for? What kind of dyes are used? How do you use them safely? Are these chemicals like 
when do I have to wear a mask? When should I wear gloves? All those kinds of things. So then I came home and revisited the book and I was like, well, all of this makes so much more sense now because I kind of knew what each piece of the process was. Um, and then in 2020, you know, of course, like a lot of us spent a lot of time at home. So I decided to kind of invest in myself. And um, so I bought some dyes and just really invested a lot of time and energy in trying to figure out how to dye fabric. Um, and recently I took a class from one of the uh, most well-known uh, dye fabric dyeing teachers. Her name is Carol Soderland. Um, and I took a class called Color Mixing for Dyers, number three. And I came home with a book of 1,029 colors that I can now dye. <laughs> so I'm really in the deep end of my dyeing journey. Um, and I love it. So you know, I still use a mix of commercially available solids and my hand dyed fabrics, but I think um, each quilt kind of wants what it wants. And for the ones that want hand dyed fabric, I want to be able to do that. So I learned. <laughs> so will you, will you um, kind of come up with a vision for a quilt and then figure out how to make your fabric for it? Or are you also rifling through your stash and pulling as you go? Sometimes it's, I, I think to myself, I really want to dye this fabric gradation, because these are colors, this is a color progression that I've always really loved. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that sits for a little while until it finds the right project. And then sometimes I have a project where I think, I know that I want this to be this color, and that color doesn't exist in Kona or Modabella solids or Century solids or whatever, <laughs> you know? So for all those reasons, or, or say I want like a really special texture, mm -hmm. uh, then I would go for hand dyed or my quilt that was in quilt national watercolor study number seven. I wanted to go from a very, very dark charcoal gray out to a pale, 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 pale gray, like almost mm -hmm. white. That color progression in incremental even steps does not exist from any fabric manufacturer commercially. So I made it. <laughs> and so I think it real it's just a mix of both. Sometimes the fabric comes first and sometimes the quilt design comes first. So you mentioned earlier you've entered a few of your quilts to quilt shows such as QuiltCon and the Houston International Quilt Festival. Um, and you've actually shared a lot of your process of entering your quilts into these uh, shows. So, and including your jury notes, what inspired you to share the behind the scenes or behind the curtains? When I decided to enter a quilt show in 2018, it was very intimidating, um, partially because I didn't know what to expect. Um, as I mentioned, I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll enter a show in a quilt con in Nashville. Like, of course it will get in, <laughs> not knowing that it had the lowest acceptance rate of any quilt show. Like I think QuiltCon accepts 25% of the quilts that are entered into the show. So I went into that really blind because I, I wasn't part of a quilting community. I wasn't part of a guild. I was just sitting in my basement sewing things by myself. So I think there is an intimidation factor in not really knowing what is looked at, what is available. Um, I've never seen anybody really publish their judges comments at that point in time. So I think uh, reducing as many barriers for entry, you know, if, even if one person saw that post and thought like, oh, that's not as scary <laughs> as I thought that <laughs> feedback would be, or this is all I receive, you know, I get this judges sheet back that has some check marks or circles and no, like no real comments. Maybe the critique is the biggest thing that someone is 
afraid of. Um, I know that uh, I had some culty friends that had entered shows in the past and had given feedback. Like I, it, like one of my quilt teachers, the person who taught me how to sew a curve, uh, she had entered quilts into Houston before. And she would always say like, if you ever wanted to get a quilt into Houston, you should rip that out and make sure that that matches because Houston is really keen on uh, technical perfection with their quilts. Um, and so putting those comments out there and showing how technically focused um, the Houston show is, is just like, it is pulling back the curtain or like revealing what is in that black box of <laughs> not knowing, because I think unless you do enter, you know, you just don't know what to expect. Um, and, you know, QuiltCon publishes that they are more focused on design than execution, or that's been some of their judging criteria in the past. We don't know what the jury criteria is. That's not published. Um, Quilt National looks for something different. The Sakwa exhibits look for something different. Um, so it's really just kind of any, the more transparent I can be with my experiences or the more that I can, the more we all kind of know and share, that's probably just better for all of us. On that note, it is time to move on to our rapid fire quilty questions. Are you ready, Audrey? I'm ready. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wendy, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Uh, what is your favorite time of day to quilt? Probably the morning and early afternoon. And where do you sew? In my basement. And do you wear shoes while sewing? Uh, sometimes I wear slippers. It's cold down here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, music, Netflix, podcasts, or the sounds of silence? Usually an iPad with like uh, something I've already watched, like Harry Potter, Star Wars, something playing. Uh, I also, uh, starting with the quarantine, started doing FaceTimes with a bunch of quilty friends. So often I'll have some of my quilty friends on my <laughs> iPad and we're just having a chat while we're both working in our studios. Nice. Do you find it hard to talk while like the sewing machine's running on both ends or one end? No, not from a sound perspective. No, but also it's kind of like just having that person in the room with you or going to a guild meeting or a community. sew or whatever people call them, it's just kind of like having your friend in the room with you, except they're on a screen instead of present. Yeah. <laughs> um, and going back to, you know, um, whatever you're playing in the background, do you have like a current favorite? Uh, I'm kind of on a Project Runway rewatch right now, so <laughs> I would say that that's in current heavy rotation. And do you have a favorite snack while quilting? I won't say this is a no food zone, but I've got to be pretty desperate to eat in my studio. I pretty much always have a glass of tea or a sparkling water with me. And do you have a favorite traditional block? I would say the fan block because it basically is the basis of a radial quilt. So, <laughs> And what is your favorite color? Black, snow, black or snow. <laughs> and do you have a favorite brand of solids? I use Kona. I use Motabella solids and Century solids. I would say most of my stash is Kona. Do you have a favorite Kona color? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot to love about the wasabi ochre, uh, dirty yellow, like curry. And those that color family, I can't pick a favorite color. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what color fabric do you use the most? 
Um, I would say snow is my most common. I buy it by the bolt now. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, solids or print fabrics? Solids are hand dyed. And do you have a favorite fabric designer? From a print perspective, you know, I, I every once in a while I'll make a dress for myself out of like a Ruby Star print. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a pretty big fan of Sarah Watts. And what is the last fabric you bought? Uh, I bought a hundred yards of a PFD from a company called Test Fabrics <laughs> so that I can do a bunch of sewing, <laughs> sewing and dyeing. <laughs> and do you have a favorite quilt shop? Fabric Bub online is, uh, you know, they're independently owned and they ship very fast. And now they're on the East Coast, which is even better. So I would yeah. say Fabric Bub. How do you organize your fabrics by color, designer, size, print solid? I do separate my hand dyes from the commercially available solids. Um, hand dyes are usually in the batch that they were dyed so that I can keep a gradation together. But the commercial available solids are all by hue. So all my yellows, all my greens together. And what do you do with your scraps? I have a scrap bin that anything reasonable size goes in. Um, I usually uh, grab from that bin when I'm making like my angular quilts because I only need a little bit Mm -hmm. of a lot of colors. And what sewing notion couldn't you live without? I mean, my clapper. Seriously, though, when I'm uh, F- doing FPP, my out of quarter ruler and my finger presser are definitely notions that I guess are unitaskers, but I really love them. And on your um, FPP, do you use a specific type of paper or just regular old printer paper? I've used both. I've used newsprint in the past because mm-hmm. I do find it tears away a little bit easier, but uh, regular old eight and a half by 11 printer paper is fine by me these days. And what's your favorite pins? I like a glass head pen that's uh, fine and like an inch or an inch and a half long. And what is your go-to cutting notion for curved pieces? Um, a rotary cutter and I use two inch washers from Lowe's and that weighs down my paper template so that I can cut the curve freehand. I don't use acrylic rulers for Mm -hmm. my curve piecing. I print paper templates and then I weigh them down with, uh, big heavy washers. (laughs) And are you using a 45 millimeter blade or the smaller 18? Most of the time I use my regular old 45 millimeter. Uh, what thread brand do you use? Um, well, full disclosure, I am an RFL artisan, but I have pieced my quilts using RFL 2021, uh, color 2021, 50 weight thread since I started quilting in 2005. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to stop doing that anytime soon. (laughs) And when you're using your clapper or whenever you're pressing, what is your pressing preference? Mostly open. All my curved seams are open. Um, When I do FPP, I press to one side because the paper demands that I do as such. Uh, Pick one, matchstick quilting, grid quilting, or spiral quilting. Matchstick. (laughs) (laughs) Machine or hand bind? 
I always attach by, uh, so I do a quilt facing number one. So there's a free download for a facing tutorial on my website. Um, so I face all my quilts so that you don't get a bound edge, mm -hmm. um, or a visible bound edge. I attach the strip with the machine and I always hand stitch on the back and uh spray pin or thread based i use a long arm so none of those <laughs> <laughs> trick question trick question <laughs> uh pre-wash always sometimes never my hand dyes are always pre-washed because of the nature of the process but i do not pre-wash my konas which i know will make some people cringe <laughs> what's your favorite part of the quilting process probably starting a new project because I, I get a lot of excitement uh going from the digital image to my uh when I first start assembling and I see it start to come together what's your least favorite part of the quilting process hand stitching the facing or a sleeve on the back of a quilt <laughs> what's one bad quilting habit you wish you could give up uh not pre-washing my fabric who is your quilty bff either Ty Flanagan or Kelly Spell. And who's your quilty crush? Nancy Crow. And what is your favorite recent make? Mobius Radial. And how many quilts are in the work in progress pile now? Digitally, like a hundred. <laughs> um, <laughs> but actual, like partially cut, partially assembled, just one. Good for you. So Very you don't really nice. have to deal with storage of your whips. Well, I mean, I have <laughs> I have tons of fabric, so I have to worry about storage for fabric and quilts that I've already made. But no, things that end up just getting pinned to my wall. And do you have any other interests? I mean, part of, like I mentioned before, I'm a huge fan of doing DIY. Um, and so we always kind of have a home project going on or um, I do enjoy woodworking, which kind of was the basis for making clappers. So, you know, I'm always kind of, piddling around with something, um, making something. I've always been like that. <laughs> and we've got just a couple more questions for you. And first up are who are three accounts you think everyone should be following and why? Um, I would say Carson Converse has a really um, beautiful minimalist style. Um, she's also a close friend of mine. I think she would be worth following. Um, my friend Kelly Spell would be a great follow. Um, she has a lot of interesting quilt content. She shares a lot. She does a lot of testing of like battings and fabric washout and all kinds of stuff. And she's always keen to share those results, which is uh, really interesting. And um, my other quilty BFF, Ty Flanagan, has uh, some really cool patterns um, that are made with traditional, uh, based on traditional Islamic patterns and he does a lot with like fpp and his quilts have a million pieces and they're beautiful <laughs> okay so before we sign off do you have any other fun projects in the horizon that you're able to share with our listeners well um at the time this airs i will have had a pattern that just came out so i would say if you're interested in learning more about my work uh check out my instagram page at cotton and bourbon um, and check out cottonandbourbon.com uh, i have um, eight or ten patterns out there now that some leverage curved piecing and some don't um and i always try to add a lot of um, interesting like tips and tricks or uh, show you how I'm doing something or the process uh, the process of what I'm doing as well and not just the finished product so 
I would say if you're interested in learning more of that is where you would find me. And did you mention what's the name of the new pattern? Did you mention that? I didn't, but the new pattern is Mobius Radial. So we need to wrap today up and we hope that you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to contact any of us, we can most easily be found on our Instagram accounts. I'm at Broadclaw Studio. Wendy. I am the dot weekend quarter. Anna, who couldn't make it today, but is here in spirit and in editing capacity as always is at Wax and Wayne Studio. And Audrey. I'm at Cotton and Bourbon. Or you can go to our podcast account at quilt.buzz or our website quiltbuzzpodcast.com for our previous episodes and updates on upcoming guests. If you enjoyed today's show, we hope that you subscribe to the podcast and tell your quilty friends about us too. And if you have a moment to share what you love by writing a review on your podcast provider of choice, it would make our day. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. 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 Bye.